0: Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio.
3: And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with Dr. Jim Bell. Jim, as you look at the cosmos and you've seen all these incredible pictures, how did it all start? Do you ever kick yourself trying to figure that one out?
4: All the time, man. All the time. It's, uh, you know, we have lots of information and um, we can do use radioactive age dating in the laboratory to learn how old our solar system is, four and a half billion years. We can use the expansion of the universe observed by the Hubble t- Space Telescope and other facilities to learn how, how old our observable universe is, 13.6 billion years ago or so. It all emerged from the so-called Big Bang. Uh, but uh, where did it come from? Why are we here? Boy, these are these aren't really scientific questions. These are philosophical, even religious questions, uh, and and we all struggle with them. All of us.
3: And I'm fascinated by the big question of what was right before that 13.8 billion years. What what was there?
4: Yeah, great question. Uh, I'm not a cosmologist, so I'm not not the guy to even attempt that. I, but,
3: Jim, uh, I can't even get a cosmologist to tell me the answer.
4: Yeah, well, part of the problem is when you create space and time, it's hard to ask what was before, because you've created time as we know it, right? So That's right. It's uh, Boy, it makes my head spin.
3: It is. It's one of a kind. My mom always used to tell me that it always was, always will be. I'm beginning to wonder she might be right.
4: <laughs> That's a very wise answer. Absolutely.
3: What do you think of the new Artemis uh, launch that we had last week?
4: Uh, very exciting. Very exciting to see uh, NASA succeed finally with its big rocket on the first try. Of course, you know, a long way to go uh, for getting people on it and getting back to the moon and all that. But this is, you know, this is uh, all of us pooling our resources as Americans, uh, a very tiny fraction of our tax dollar going towards exploration and and science and, and national prestige and global leadership in human exploration. Uh, so uh, obviously it was a lot of nail-biting, It's a lot of riding on, on that on that rocket, and it'll be even more riding on that rocket once people uh, fly on the next uh, several flights. Uh, but I'm, I'm awfully proud of, of NASA and, and everybody, all the contractors, the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that helped make that happen and that are trying to you know, move exploration and science forward uh, for, for our nation and for the world.
3: We got to the moon with 50 plus year technology. You would think it would be easier to get to now, but it really isn't, is it?
4: Well, not, there's nothing easy about rockets. Uh, there's nothing easy about going out into space. It's a harsh environment. Uh, you know, there's, there's, just, there's just nothing easy about it. And uh, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it all the time, right? Uh, and so, you know, it takes, uh, it takes the best minds in the world uh, to figure out how to do this. It takes uh, pooling our resources as a nation. It takes the support of our elected representatives and leaders uh, to do this. And it takes all of us, um, you know, uh, cheering uh, for each other and for our country uh, to do these kind of things. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's a hard thing to do, um, and uh, and it's so it's it's so impressive and so exhilarating when it works.
3: We were friends with the late Edgar Mitchell, Apollo 14 astronaut, who told us some incredible things. A staunch believer in extraterrestrial life. Where's where do you
4: stand there, Jim? Well, I, I look at it in two ways. Right there's. Uh, There's life of any kind, right? And, you know, we know that the conditions on our own planet uh, led to the the emergence of life. Uh, We think there are half a dozen other places in our solar system alone where those conditions may also have led to life in the past or perhaps even life uh, today underground in, in aquifers or deep under the ice various places, so that's partly why we're looking for it. But likely, uh, the, the life in our own solar system is probably very much if it's out there, is probably very much like what early life was like on the Earth. Simple, single-celled, maybe multicellular colonies, uh, but but relatively simple. Um, and in that respect, I'm, I'm a big optimist that there's probably simple life all over the galaxy, all over the universe, because the, the conditions are are duplicated in so many other places. Tens of millions of Earth-like planets in our galaxy alone. Um, so that's that's simple life, like, like life started on the Earth. Separate question about intelligent life, right? And mm-hmm. yes. it uh, obviously on our on our planet, uh, l- a lot of time that simple life evolved into the complex life forms that we we represent. Uh, a very small fraction of life on our planet, but but uh, able to build radio telescopes and communicate uh, and travel uh, to the planets and the stars eventually. And you know, is that is that common in the galaxy in the universe? I I worry, George, that the distances are so vast, and you know, damn Einstein's speed of light uh, makes mm-hmm. it so hard to communicate over vast distances that. There may be other intelligent civilizations out there, or there may have been a long time ago, but we're just so far away that we can't communicate. Um, but, you know, it's, it's speculation uh, at this point. Um, you know, it'd be, it'd be great to have, you know, some, some evidence of radio signals from another civilization or some evidence of the atmosphere of an extrasolar planet showing the kinds of molecules that can only be created by an intelligent civilization et cetera, et cetera. And, and, you know, we're fortunate in that we're looking for those things. And it'll be uh, one of the most grand and amazing discoveries in the history of discoveries if we actually find that evidence. And can, I think and so, can prove too. It.
3: What do you think of the picture of the face on Mars in Cidona?
4: Um I think it was, a, it was a really interesting picture from the, from the 1970s. Uh, that, uh, that got a lot of people excited, a lot of geologists excited about the, the geologic structures there, and a lot of folks in the public uh, excited about, you know, seeing... Uh, the, what a, looked like a, a, a face. face Yeah. Um, and subsequent images at higher resolution With better cameras And better technology have shown It's, it's not, but it's still It's a super interesting geologic structure and, and Mars has got all kinds of We talked about this earlier All kinds of weird shapes and structures Formed from the, the ancient geology Of that planet
3: It is truly remarkable, isn't it? Yeah. How, how long has Dr. Hubble been doing its thing now?
4: It's uh, 30, I want to say 32 years now. Amazing. Uh, my, my previous book uh, a couple of years ago called uh, Hubble Legacy was in a celebration of the 30th anniversary of the Hubble Space Telescope. What a spectacular, spectacular thing that we've done, having that up there for, for so long, rewriting the, the astronomy books and the science textbooks for our kids and teachers, making amazing discoveries uh, and, and still going, and still going, and now, you know, overlapping with an even bigger, more powerful telescope, the James Webb.
3: That's going to do incredible things. Do you think it might see the first light of the universe?
4: You know, I think it's it's designed to search for the first stars and the first galaxies. I don't know if it'll be able to see that far back. It's uh, you know it, that's pushing the limits, but that's where the technology is taking us back to those very very early days. They've already discovered or, or shown evidence of uh, you know possibly the earliest galaxies that uh, that formed maybe in the very, very early universe. Uh, I, I think what you started out with is right. It's going to make some incredible discoveries. It's early days. Figure out how to use that telescope and its instruments out there in space uh, since its launch uh, last Christmas. Um, but uh, just like uh, Hubble started out slow out of the gates and has revolutionized astronomy in 30 years, so is Webb. Webb is testing to do the same thing.
3: Are the first stars that started the universe... Even around anymore?
4: Uh, you know, it's a great question. Uh, there are some kinds of stars that are very, very low mass that have lifetimes that could be as long as the age of the universe. I'm not, uh, I'm not a stellar astronomer, so I don't, I can't give you the names of any that have been shown to be that old. But theoretically, there could be some. They'd be very dim. They'd be very hard to see. Uh, whereas the brightest stars, the the, the giants. The, the, the blue giants and the bright, whitish stars, uh, those live fast and die young. And those are the ones that are easy to see, uh, but they don't last very long. So uh, it's a great question, and uh, and I, I personally wish I knew, I knew more about the answer.
3: Are there other countries, Jim, that are coming along real well in their space programs, too?
4: You know what? There's something like, I want to say 70... More than 75 space agencies around the world now, George. I think it's not just NASA and the Europeans and the Russians and the Chinese and the Japanese. Uh, It's all kinds of, the Polish space agency, the Rwandan space agency, uh, the Paraguay space agency, you know, countries that want to be part of the future, that want to be... Uh, you know, develop their science and technology and engineering and math and their, this, the quality of their students and employees and the technical know-how of their industries. Th- those countries who want to be part of the future realize that space is part of the future. And so they're forming space agencies to help, uh, you know, gel their industries and, and inspire their citizens to do great things in space and, like we have.
3: When you look at these incredible pictures in your book, The Art of the Cosmos, you stop and wonder, why do we have wars? Why do we have battles when there's so much wonderment out there that as a world, we could just enjoy it?
4: Yeah. You know, one of my uh, one of my uh, heroes who I never got to met, a guy named Gene Roddenberry, came up with the whole Star Trek series and that whole you know, universe of uh, where we had solved all these problems on the earth. We'd solved hunger and homelessness, and, you know, we weren't even using money anymore in Roddenberry's Star Trek universe. Uh, and, you know, we'd learned how to work together, and racism was a thing of the past. Uh, boy, it, it'd be great to head there. We're not there, right? As a species. Long ways to go still. We've we got long a long ways way. to go, but... Boy, it's, a, it's a great thing to strive for.
3: Phone lines are open. We're going to take calls next hour with Dr. Jim Bell as we talk about the art of the cosmos, incredible things, jump on board, ask him a science question or a picture about photography as well. The moon was another one of those great telescope views as a kid because you could barely see the craters with the naked eye. But when you put your telescope on a full moon, it's magnificent.
4: Oh, man, and you can see those. Mountains and oh valleys. My uh,
3: you could reach out and touch it.
4: Absolutely, boy! It was. Uh, it sounds like we both had the same experience as kids with the telescope, charge.
3: <laughs> yeah, but where'd you grow up?
4: I grew up in uh, in the great state of Rhode Island, out in the what, what was the western sticks of the state. Uh, it was pretty dark skies, uh, cold winter nights out in the front yard with uh, some of my buddies from yep. high school.
3: <laughs> I did the same thing in Detroit. Yeah. And those were cold nights too, but they yeah, were worth but
4: it. Best best time, best viewing when it was cold, right? Yep,
3: absolutely. I had a three-inch refractor, and you'd look at it through the little tiny telescope to center it up, and then you'd look through the top of the uh, lens right through it, and it was something else.
4: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Fun times, and then I put it on street lights and everything else.
4: You know, it's a great. It's with the holidays coming. What a great gift for for a kid. Oh my God!
3: With the book,
4: a little bit interested in science or space or astronomy or just curious. I mean, telescope, there's lots of great telescopes that don't cost too much these days for for really good quality.
3: I'd give the kid the book first, and then right after he's done looking at it going, what else do I
4: get? There you go. Give him the
3: telescope. There you go. You got it. That's fantastic. Anyways, we're going to take calls pretty soon here. Of all the things you have done in your career of space photography, what for you has been that moment of awe?
4: Well, that's a great question. You know, there was a time um, for a few years, uh, around 2004 to 2006, 2007 or so, um, a little longer than that, actually, when uh, NASA and the team uh, that I led, uh, we were operating two rovers on the surface of Mars, Spirit and Opportunity, at the same time. Each of them outfitted with spectacular cameras, And other scientific instruments on opposite sides of the planet, and so the sun would rise on one rover and it would go do its thing, and the sun would set and it would send us back its images. And while the sun set on that one, the sun rises on the other one and it would go do its (laughs) thing, get the images back. And none of us were ever sleeping for years, and we were just living in this uh, this Martian candy store, getting these amazing pictures and other measurements, and driving across the landscape and learning about ancient water on mars and how it used to be habitable for life as we know it and uh, it was a heady amazing time and uh, we took tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of pictures with those rovers and, and shared them with the public
0: listen to more coast to coast am every weeknight at 1 a.m eastern and
2: go to coast for more from bbc radio 4 britain's biggest paranormal podcast No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on AE Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Haya. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Stay free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.